0: The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents The Phantasmal Return of Raymond Walsh Episode 2 Elizabeth Crown was sitting at her usual booth, fumbling through a crossword puzzle, when she heard a gasp. The sound was strange, like a sudden gust of wind. Until that moment, Uncle Joe's diner was full of the usual noise. Men talking about sports at the lunch counter. Orders shouted from the kitchen. Neighborhood wives catching up over coffee. Sometimes Elizabeth came here just for the hubbub. The sizzle of eggs and sausage. The scraping of silverware. The bursts of laughter. This was the kind of noise she didn't get at home. The din of civic life. It was a convenient place to meet new clients, of course, but some mornings, she just had a yen for eggs and toast. Across the table sat Maud, her quiet assistant, who flipped slowly through a movie magazine. She had only nibbled at her croissant. She was transfixed by the celebrity portraits that emerged with each glossy page. They sat, comfortably unspeaking, interrupted every few minutes by a cheery waitress with a carafe of fresh coffee. Then it happened. A hush fell over the crowd. Then they gasped. Elizabeth looked up. Through the large window, she saw the source of their surprise. A man in a trench coat hobbling toward them. Diners rose from their stools and chairs. They pointed, raised hands over mouths, ogled the man outside. His hair was disheveled, his face patchy with bruises. He walked in a jerky way, his arms outstretched. Bare feet stumbled beneath hairy shins. The coat was erratically buttoned, revealing the V of his chest and hints of clavicle. The sleeves were bunched around his forearms. The man was clearly naked beneath his coat. His exposed flesh was beaten and discolored, like an apple left to rot. The patrons chattered among themselves. What on earth? Who's the loony? He's coming this way! Elizabeth heard herself murmur, Raymond? Brakes squealed. A truck halted just short of the stumbling man. He jolted, then blinked. He recognized the danger of the oncoming grill, but didn't seem to understand it. His mouth hung open, confused. The truck driver leaned out his window and hollered at him, waving a disgruntled fist. Diners moved toward the window, trying to get a better look. Their jabber intensified. They watched the man take a step forward, trying to get away from the stalled vehicle. His foot rammed the curb, and he tumbled sideways, sprawling on the sidewalk. There was another round of exclamations. A waitress screamed. Elizabeth leapt up and charged across the diner. She blew through the front door and knelt before the fallen man. He lay face down on the concrete. His back rose dramatically with each breath, his limbs bent at odd angles. Then Elizabeth saw it. A small slip of paper, "'dancing against the sidewalk. "'She leaned forward, incredulous. "'The truck driver stopped yelling. "'The presence of a woman had quieted him. "'He slid down from his cab and removed his cap. "'He was a small and skinny man, his skin patchily tanned. "'Sorry about the cussin, ma'am,' he said shyly. "'I just didn't see him comin', is all.' "'Never mind that,' Elizabeth snapped. She shoved her hands under the man's body and rolled him onto his back. His head bobbled, but firm breaths issued from his gaping mouth. The buttons of his coat were strained, threatening to pop off and reveal his naked body beneath. Elizabeth looked up at the driver. I need you to give me a ride to Oakland. that's not really where I'm heading, ma'am. Elizabeth stole a glance at the diner. Faces were pressed against the wall of glass. Patrons pointed and moved their mouths like energetic goldfish. How does thirty bucks sound? Elizabeth offered. The driver whistled. For that, I'd take you to Ohio. No need, but you'll have to fit three of us. "'But who is he?' Maud asked breathlessly. "'And why shouldn't we go to a hospital?' Elizabeth chewed a cuticle in silence. She leaned against her kitchen counter and listened to water roil in the tea kettle. Her expression was eerily introspective. She had said so little on the ride home. She'd only given terse directions. Before asking for his cash... The truck driver had heaved the limp body up the stairs to Elizabeth's house. They'd stripped the man of his coat and covered him in a blanket. He was sleeping soundly now on the Davenport in the other room. Through it all, Elizabeth hadn't said a significant word. Now they were here, in the kitchen, silently waiting for water to boil. Maud marveled at this. The woman pontificated about everything... But when it came to a feral-looking stranger collapsing in the street, she was mum. Elizabeth sighed. He's an old schoolmate. Maud flushed. You don't say? From medical school? No, countered Elizabeth. Before that. He's... that is, I know him from high school. There was a pregnant pause. Elizabeth grabbed the kettle from the stove and switched off the gas. Maud took a hot water bottle from the countertop and held it open, and Elizabeth poured a stream into its narrow mouth. Steam puffed around their hands until the rubber was bloated with water. Maud sealed the opening, then waited for the signal to go to the living room. But Elizabeth lingered. He didn't look well, she said. And the moment you stick a half-naked man in a hospital, unconscious, no wallet, stumbling around like a toddler, there's a good chance he'll end up in the madhouse. And Lord knows how long he'd get stuck there. If I didn't know who he was, I would have forgotten about him by lunch. Just another coot holding up traffic. But there's something about a familiar face. She wiggled her jaw, cleansing herself of the thought there's still some water left in the kettle maud mind brewing us some tea elizabeth tiptoed into the living room the doorway was wide with ribbed trim and sliding doors left open the electric lamps were out and the walls bore no windows so the room felt murky but elizabeth could still discern the human bundle beneath its blanket the floorboards groaned beneath her clogs and the man stirred. He rolled over, pulled the wool from his face, and blinked awake. The moment he recognized her presence, Raymond propped himself up on an elbow. The blanket was stretched across his torso like a toga, and he suddenly had the look and posture of a dining Roman. He looked around, squirrely, his eyes focused on his host. Liz? he whispered. Liz Crown? Elizabeth hesitated. How strange to see her old classmate, to hear his voice. Twelve years had passed. He was twelve years older, and so was she. Raymond had aged like many men. Thirty years old, neither athletic nor pudgy. Flat cheeks, a gentle jaw. His chestnut hair was tousled, but it still glistened of pomade. He was an average man in every way, the grown-up version of an average adolescent. It's nice to see you, Raymond, Elizabeth said. How are you feeling? Raymond's eyes darted. Is this a dream? Not at all, Elizabeth said assuringly. You're safe. You had a spill. Do you remember? A spill? Raymond touched his chest. He winced. Oh, it aches. It's all right. Just relax. You have nowhere to go. Elizabeth sensed a presence behind her. She turned to see Maud holding a wooden tray. The tray held a tea set, the hot water bottle, and a folded set of clothes. Raymond, said Elizabeth, this is my assistant, Maud Kapuschinski. Why don't you get yourself situated and we can have a chat in a little while? It was hard to read Raymond's expression. His eyes were saturnine. His eyebrows tensed into a tight V, as if trying to recall an obscure fact. His lips were cracked and crooked. He looked like a man in shock, but more so. Was he drugged, concussed, loaded with liquor? Liz, Raymond whispered. Where am I? You're safe. You're in my home. How? Just put on some clothes, and we'll compare notes. Maud scurried over to the coffee table and deposited the tray. The two women backed away, toward the kitchen. When they reached the entryway, Elizabeth dragged the doors along their runners. They clinked together, and Raymond disappeared. They waited, awkwardly. Neither knew what to say. Behind the double doors, Raymond might be dressing and pouring himself tea. Or maybe he was staring blankly at the walls. Who could say? There were so many potential explanations. And yes, maybe the man had gone batty. But she couldn't turn him over to a hospital ward. Not until she knew what happened. Elizabeth, whispered Maud. You didn't go with him, did you? Elizabeth scowled. "'Heavens, Maud, are you serious? Surely you know I have better taste than that?' Maud bit her lip. "'I just thought, maybe—' "'I knew him,' said Elizabeth. "'I knew a lot of people in high school, but I wouldn't call them friends, and certainly not sweethearts, if that's what you mean.' After a few minutes, Elizabeth re-entered the room. Raymond was fully dressed, except for a final argyle sock, which he struggled to hike up his calf. The collared shirt and slacks fit him well. Luckily, he was the same size as Elizabeth's father, whose dresser she'd raided. Raymond needed only a belt and a pair of shoes, and he'd look as good as new. Elizabeth sank into an easy chair. She noticed the tea set, still untouched. Raymond, she said. Can you tell me what happened? What happened? Raymond shivered and he collapsed into the cushions. He pressed fingertips into his forehead. I was walking in the street. And then I fell. Yes, Elizabeth said. We saw. But before that, how did you get there? Raymond's eyes vibrated in their sockets. I was somewhere dark. Or maybe I was asleep. I don't know. I I really, I, I can't remember. It was time. Elizabeth lifted a piece of paper into the dim light. The paper was thick, but creased. The printed lettering was speckled with grime. I have to show you something, she said. It might alarm you, but I think it's important. Do you know what this is? Raymond squinted. He sat up straining for a closer look. Then he shook his head. I I don't know. An index card? A, a ticket of some kind? I, I can't really see it. Elizabeth reached forward, offering the slip between two fingers. Just as Raymond was about to grasp it, she said, It's a toe tag. Raymond recoiled. A what? A toe tag. Elizabeth stretched the paper between her hands. They're used to identify bodies in the morgue. A silence fell over the den. Raymond's eyes were wide. Elizabeth set the tag on the tray next to the empty teacups. Raymond, you have a welt on the back of your head the size of a grapefruit. Your skin has a gray pallor, and you've got contusions all over your body. Is it possible... "'That is, could it be that—' "'She stopped. Raymond stared at her. "'His eyes were slits. His face was wrinkled with perplexity. "'Elizabeth couldn't go on. She couldn't ask the necessary question. "'The man was too fragile. "'Could it be,' she began again, "'that you had an accident? "'That someone mistook you for dead?' Raymond lost himself in the sofa. The cushions swallowed him like quicksand. He gazed inwardly, and Elizabeth could tell she was losing him. This conversation was happening too fast. She should have waited. Why was she rushing him? The man had just bumbled into traffic. What did she expect? Elizabeth, Maud murmured behind her. Maybe we should let him rest a little. Elizabeth straightened. She snatched the toe-tag and hid it from view. Yes, of course. She backed away toward the entryway. Do you need anything? asked Maud. An aspirin? Some more water? Suddenly, Raymond's head shot up. His face was alert, clairvoyant. He raked fingers through his hair. The fall, he exclaimed. My God, the fall! The fall, Elizabeth echoed. No, not a fall. It was a jump. I jumped. Dear Lord in heaven, I jumped out that window. I killed myself. Outside, the day was sunny and bright, with just the right patchwork of fluffy clouds. A light breeze jostled the leaves in the gutters of Cressida Street. The air smelled of loam and coal dust. Birdsong filled the air, a choir of avian voices. This was Pittsburgh weather at its finest. But sunlight did not flatter Raymond's countenance. He looked sick and discolored, the portrait of despair. He clasped his hands, his head hung heavily. Between welts, his skin looked like alabaster. I can remember falling, Raymond muttered. That feeling of falling. The wind. The heaviness. I just dropped all those eight stories. It was so fast. One second the ground was far away. The next second, it was right there. But after that, I I don't know. I don't remember hitting. Just suddenly it was over. Black. Nothing. Raymond smoothed his trousers with the palms of his hands. I don't know how I feel about that. Isn't something supposed to happen? Don't you have, I don't know, a a moment? Doesn't your life flash before your eyes? You're absolutely certain you jumped, Elizabeth asked. No one pushed you, threw you. Raymond shook his head. I wish... I wish I could say it wasn't true. And if you were anyone else, Liz, I'd make up some story. I'd tell you I I don't remember. But I can't lie to you. Not now. Not after everything you've done. I jumped, and that's the truth. I opened that window with my own two hands. Elizabeth frowned. She had a dozen questions. Why had he jumped? What had driven him? Where had he even done it? But this line of questioning was useless. He was here now, on her porch, mysteriously alive. Whatever his reasons, they were beside the point. Do you remember waking up? Elizabeth asked. Do you remember where you were? It's all so hazy. Like waking from a dream. It was dark, I know that much. And I felt around, trying to figure out where I was, and... I think I knocked something over. There was a crash. Something small. Made of glass. But it's so hard to tell. I mean, do I actually remember that? Or am I making it up so it all makes sense? Filling in the blanks. You were wearing a coat, coaxed Elizabeth. Any idea where it came from? The coat? Of course, It was hanging up, I think. Yes, that was it. It was hanging on a hook. Or a rack, maybe. But I definitely took it down. It took ages. I was seeing double. I could barely use my hands. But somehow I got it down. And I took the coat. I wrapped it around myself. And I remember the buttons confused me. Which button fit into which hole? Elizabeth smirked. I can't say you aced that test. I'm surprised I could even walk. There was a staircase, I think, and a a door. I tried to push it open, but I wasn't thinking. I pulled, and the light came in. I couldn't see at first. It was so bright. I felt sick, sick to my stomach. Everything hurt. He wrapped his arms around himself. It still hurts. God, it hurts so bad. How far would you say you went, Elizabeth said, if you had to guess? It's so hard to tell. I doubt I could have walked more than a mile. Just being so out of sorts, I I doubt my legs would have held out. And for all I know, it was a whole lot less. Half a mile. Elizabeth considered this. What was there within a half mile of Uncle Joe's diner? Houses, mostly. Some warehouses and workshops— but no mortuary. Could he have stumbled out of an ambulance? A paddy wagon? The nearest hospital was miles away. Could the tow tag be fake? Had someone obtained Raymond's body through illicit means? Raymond, said Elizabeth. I imagine you're too weak to walk. But how would you feel about a drive? A drive? To where? I'll level with you, said Elizabeth. I think something very strange is going on here. Oh, it's possible someone misread the situation. Maybe you did jump out of an eight-story window, you hit the ground, and you survived. Maybe everyone assumed, erroneously, that you were dead. They took you to the morgue and checked you in. And then, unbeknownst to anyone, you woke up on the slab, confused and disoriented. You found a coat. You made it to a door, and you saw your own way out. If that's what happened, then everything is fine. This is all one big miraculous mistake." Raymond listened intently. But, but, Elizabeth said, the odds of surviving that fall are a million to one, and for a coroner to declare you dead at the scene, when you were really still alive, I'd say it's nigh on impossible. Then, Raymond jolted, his eyelids fluttered, tears zigzagged down his granite cheeks. Then, finished Elizabeth, you were dead, truly dead. And somehow, somewhere, you were brought back to life. you've been listening to the phantasmal return of raymond walsh episode two the adventures of elizabeth crown are produced by backpack media llc written and performed by robert eisenberg music by eric sati and naoya sakamata for more information about the exciting world of oncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net